take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11, already. We're going to talk about the beauty of the Father today. Let's continue from last week. Let me do a little review real quick in case you weren't here or in case you uh, don't remember what we said last week. Last week, we looked in Matthew chapters 9 and 12, where ministers were upset with Jesus because he was hanging around really bad people. Do you remember that? Okay, it's good that I'm reviewing it then. All right. And uh, Jesus said to them, go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Do you know what he said to the preachers? You don't even know what God wants. You don't even know what he's like. It's not about you beating a tar out of people and getting them to do something for me. It's about me showing mercy to people. And he said to him, go learn what this means. Then we saw him a few weeks later in Matthew chapter 12, where they're fussing again because somebody ain't doing what they thought he should have. And he said to them, if you had learned what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you wouldn't beat on people so much. I maybe think that's weird that preachers who are supposed to be telling us what God is like didn't know what he was like. And Jesus, not even Jesus could teach the preachers what God was like. Don't that sound strange to you? We have the same problem now. All right, today we're going to look at a fellow by the name of John Baptist. Anybody have heard of John the Baptist? He pastors a Baptist church in the southern part of the county. That's why they call him John the Baptist. All right, John the Baptist is one of the most unusual people that ever lived. Listen to what Jesus said about John the Baptist. There has never been a man born of woman greater than John the Baptist. All right, John the Baptist was sent by God. Right, let me tell you something. There's a 400 year gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It had been 400 years since God had spoken to anybody. That's a long time. The next time God speaks is through John, 400 year gap. And John said, he has sent me to bring y'all a message. The savior of the world is right behind me. Jesus came to preach what? I mean, John came to preach what? He's coming. He's right behind me. He was called the forerunner. He was sent to tell people, your salvation's fixing to hit the earth. He's coming right back here. And he came to prepare the people for Jesus. All right. <clears throat> so he does that. He gets everybody ready. He baptizes Jesus in the Jordan because he's real big on this baptizing stuff. That's why they call him John the Baptizer. And then Jesus begins to minister. Three months later, John is arrested because he wanted to talk about the king's sex life and that got him thrown in jail. And so he's in jail, and this is where we take up. This is an unusual situation here, Matthew 12. Excuse me, Matthew 11. It came to pass, verse 1, when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. When John heard in prison about the what? The work, not Christ, the works of Christ. What's John hearing? All right, he's locked in prison. Remember, he's told the world Jesus is coming. He tells the world that's him right there. And now all of a sudden he's hearing what Jesus is doing. And people are telling him, let me tell you what Jesus is doing. Look what Jesus did over in this city. So he's hearing the works of Jesus. He sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or should we be looking for somebody else? What in the world happened to him? He was sent by God to tell people that's him. He baptizes him. He watches the spirit of God come down on Jesus. He tells everybody that's him right there. He gets arrested and three months later, he sends somebody says, go ask him if he's the one or not. Now, some preachers have said that John had an emotional breakdown. It sounded to me like preachers had an emotional breakdown. He didn't have an emotional breakdown. So why did the man that God sent to tell everybody that's him, 
wonder if that was him. You need to learn this. <clears throat> Not for history's sake, this applies to me and you. All right, let's look at how Jesus answered. Verse four, Jesus answered and said to them, go tell John what you see. Go tell him what I'm doing. Verse five, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, lepers are being healed, deaf people are hearing, dead people coming back to life, and bad people are hearing good news. I'm talking good news to bad people. I want you to look at verse six with me. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Blessed is one broad term in the Bible that covers God does good things for people. If you want him to do good things for you, tell me what you have to not do. What does it say there? If you want God to be good to you, you can't be offended by him. <clears throat> What's the obvious inference, inversion? If you're offended by him, he can't do much for you. And John's offended by something. All right, I got to take the time to set this up because this will help you with your personal life. Turn with me to John chapter one. Where, now remember, John's been in prison. Uh, he's been ministering about three months. He's been in prison a while and he's wondering if Jesus is the son of God. All right, let me tell you why I think it's so strange that he's wondering. It's in John chapter one. This is John chapter one. John's baptizing, he's preaching and everybody's going out to see him. He's the phenomenon of the day. He's, you know, he's lit up social media, yada, yada, all that stuff. John 1, 29, the next day, now this is before he's in prison. John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is him that I told you after me comes a man that's more important than me. He was before me. I didn't know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. That's why I came baptizing and John bore witness saying, I saw the spirit of God come down on him like a dove and remained on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, whoever you see the spirit descending on and remaining on, this is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I declare to you, that is the son of God. He just said this three months earlier. So why is it that in prison, he's wondering if Jesus is the son of God? You see something crazy going on here? Let me tell you why this is so important to learn this. Turn with me one more place. Matthew chapter three. Let's go back to the start of John's ministry. Matthew chapter three. All right, Matthew chapter three. You don't start what we're doing chronologically here. He's in prison. He's wondering if Jesus is the son of God. We go back to when he baptized Jesus, told the whole world, that's him right there. God sent me to this earth to tell you that's him. The one who sent me said, that's him. Let's go back to his first message he preached. <clears throat> Matthew three, this is when he started. Verse one, in those days, John the baptizer came preaching in the wilderness of Judea saying what? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's right here. He's, he's right behind me. He's on the way. Now look with me in verse seven. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, those are ministers coming to his baptism. He said to them, you brood of vipers. You think I talk ugly? I have never called anybody's mama a snake. I ain't never been that bad. Watch what he said. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the what? Wrath to come. What did John say? Wrath is coming. Who told you to run from it? Look at me in verse 10. And even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the what? Fire. Wrath. Fire. Gonna cut you down. Verse 12, 
His winnowing fan is in his hand, talking about Jesus. He will thoroughly clean up the threshing floor. He'll gather his wheat, but he'll burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. See why they call him a Baptist? John the Baptist. What's his message? Judgment. Fire. Cut you down. Throw you in the fire. Who told you to run from the wrath to come? John brought a message of hard judgment. Hard judgment. He told him he's coming. Now you got to remember something. John is the, John's not a New Testament prophet. He is the last of the Old Testament prophets under a different message than we live under. That message was wrath. And John says, wrath, Jesus is coming. Wrath going to burn you up, cut you down. So he gets arrested and they come tell John about Jesus. They said, he's being nice to bad people. He's bringing good news to evil people. He's healing their sickness and they're not even trusting him. He's healing blind eyes for people who don't even belong to him. He's being so good to people. And John goes, wait a minute. This ain't what I thought God would do when he came. I thought God was going to burn them evil people up. And here he is being nice to them. That's why he said, go ask him if I got the right one or not. That's why he said, go find out if he's the one I was supposed to be talking about. Go find out what it is. John's message was a message of you're in trouble because he's going to burn you up. What was Jesus' message? Mercy, kindness, grace from God, peace, healing, life. He brought a total different message. So what have we seen so far? What have we seen so far? The ministers didn't know what God was like, and now his own prophet didn't know what God was going to act like. I'm starting to wonder, does anybody know who God is? It's the whole point of this passage. I don't want to take you back, and I want to quote again what he said in Matthew eleven six. 6. Jesus said, go tell John that I'm being good to people. I'm helping people that don't deserve it. I'm showing people mercy. And let me quote verse 6 again. Blessed is he who is not offended by me. Could Jesus do anything for the preachers of his day? No. Why? They were offended. They wanted a God that burned people up. He came to help people. Dear ones, listen to me. This is why it applies to me and you. If you don't know what he's really like and you're offended by the way he acts, he won't be able to do much for you. Is it important to get to know what God is like? Yes. Now, let, 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 we're going to reason a little bit today. If the preachers didn't know what he was like and the man sent to declare him didn't know what he was like, how am I going to find out what he was like or what he is like? Are you with me? We've got a misrepresentation going on here, don't we? If you don't find out what I'm really like, there's not much I can do for you. Question, all right, let's work with me. We're, gonna just, we're just gonna chat today, okay, it's just us. Why such misconception about what God is like? Why do people not know what he's like? Where do we get this, this is what I think God is like from? What if we're wrong? All right, I'm trying to help a young girl sometime back. She was 19, 20 years old. She'd had a terrible time and she was very upset. I'm trying to help her and she's very emotional. I said, Let's, let's pray together. Let's mean you pray together. And I said, just say these words. I said, just repeat after me. I said, say this, Father. And when I said, Father, she stiffened up and anger came into her face. She said, don't you ever say Father in front of me again. And I thought, I believe I've touched a nerve here. You know what she'd done? She'd taken the face of a very evil earthly father that she had and put it on the face of the heavenly father. And she thought that the creator of the universe was like that evil man that had abused her. Where'd you learn about God from? Where'd you get your, all of us have got a concept. Where'd you get it from? 
What if we're as far off as John the Baptist was? What if we're expecting judgment and he wants to be gracious? What if we're like the preachers of that day and we're, we're warning them, you better do right. And, and Jesus says, knock it off. I came to help him. I didn't come to hurt him. It's very important that you get this thing right about what he's like. And uh, even his own disciples, remember his 12 disciples, we call them the gang. Did they know what he was like? Listen to this. You're talking about crazy. Luke chapter nine, we won't look at it. They've been following him for almost three years. You'd think hanging around somebody for three years, you'd get to know what they was like. You'd think hanging around a church 30 years, you'd get to know God, wouldn't you? Really? All right, Luke chapter nine, they've been with Jesus for three years and Jesus goes to a little town called Samaria and he wants to preach to them. And they send out a delegation and say, we do not want to hear what you got to say. John and James, he had 12 disciples. Three were very close to him, Peter, James, and John. John and James turned and they said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and kill them because they won't listen to you? you? The Bible's full of Baptist preachers. And Jesus turned around and rebuked them and said, you don't know what I'm like. I didn't come to kill people. I came to help people. His own disciples thought he was going to kill people for not doing right. If the disciples and the preachers and the forerunner can't get it right, how am I supposed to get it right? Surely there's got to be a way for me to find out what this guy's like. Well, certainly there is. Can I, can I uh, reason with you for a second? Why is it that if we err about what we believe about God, we err on the hard side? Why is it that we think he's mad at me? Why is it that we think I'm in trouble? Why is it that people always err on the hard judgmental side? Why don't we err on the mercy side? Why don't we err on the grace side? All right, let me point out something to you. If you don't learn what he's like, you'll never fulfill your life purpose. You just can't do it because he created you. I want you to look at me in Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> It's not about not cussing and drinking and smoking. I don't care if you do that stuff. Just don't cuss around me and don't, don't breathe on me if you've been smoking. I, I don't care. Get you some certs. Matthew 25 is this great teaching to teach us. If you don't get to know what he's like, you'll waste your life. And so I'm not very religious. Thank you for not wasting your life there. Matthew 25 the kingdom of heaven is like, you understand this is a picture to illustrate truth. The kingdom of heaven is like a man going to a far country who called his servants and gave his goods to them. To one, he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability, he goes on a journey. You got it? This is a picture of God Almighty and every human being. Every person in this room and every person that lives, he has given you something. He has deposited something with you. Now this is called talents and it don't mean I can play the piano. Talent here meant a sum of money, but we're not talking about money. We're talking about opportunities. Everybody here was created with opportunities and you have opportunities to live a certain way. The question is not, are you going to live? The question is, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do with what God gave you? And everybody gets an opportunity to do something with what he's been given. We've all been given something. Read with me verse 16. He who received the five talents traded, made another five talents, right? So he multiplied. He who had two went and gained two more. Verse 17. Got it? 
He who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. All right, you got it? You got three people. And this represents every human being. Here's this guy that took what God vested in him and spent his life multiplying the blessing he'd been given. And he did something with his life. All right, here's another guy. He wasn't given quite as much. Five, two, one. He wasn't given quite as much, but he took what he had and he spent his life productive and he did something with what God gave him. All right, here's a third guy. Now watch this. He didn't run a brothel. He didn't sell drugs. He didn't hate people. He just didn't do anything with what God had given him. You with me? Took, he just, nothing to do with it. Why would you not take what your creator gave you and do something with it? That's what this parable is about. I right, watch what happens. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. Stop right there. How many believe Jesus is coming back? That's the point of this passage. All right, watch these words. And settled accounts with them. How many of you believe that when he comes back, or when I go see him, I'm going to have to give an explanation for my life. I got one amen out of that. Well, let me make an announcement since you didn't know it. Let me quote Romans chapter 14. For we shall all, guess what the word all means? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Judgment. Relax. It's not as rough as you think. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of how we lived our lives. You're going to stand right in front of him one day and you're going to have to tell him something. Relax, it's open book test. You can pass it. All right, so he comes back, he settles accounts. Verse 20, he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents saying, Lord, you gave me five opportunities. I've gained five more besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful. You were faithful over some little things. I'm gonna make you rule over many things for eternity. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So this, this guy was encouraged and cheered on by the father because he did something with his life. All right, verse 22. He who had received two talents came and said, you gave me two opportunities. Here's what I did with my life. It's good. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, but you didn't do as much as the guy who had five. It does not say that. Everybody listen to me. It's not about you doing what somebody else does. It's about you doing with what you got. You understand me? Billy Graham has preached to more people than any man that's ever lived. He's preached to millions. And uh, Billy Graham went to be with Jesus and he said, well done, Billy. All right, here's a little housewife who lives way out in the country. She raises three children. She loves them. She loves her husband. Works in the nursery in her little Baptist church. She grows old. She croaks. She stands in front of Jesus. He gives her the same well done that Billy Graham got. Are you with me? Quit looking at other people. Just look at what he's called you to do and what he's given you to work with. Do something with your life. All right, let's read something here. Here's the problem. All right, let's verse uh, 24. He who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, watch these words. I knew you were a hard man. Wait a minute. Got John the Baptist on my hands here again. Got the Pharisees here again. You know what he said? He said, you're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. You're so demanding. I can't meet the requirements. That's what it means. You reap where you don't sow. You sow where you don't reap. I can't do what you want me to do. You're too hard for me. And he said, so I just, uh, watch verse 25. I was scared of you. I was scared of you, so I didn't want anything to do with you. Where in the world did this guy get this stuff from? Where, where did he get this stuff that God is hard and demanding and you ought to be scared of him? 
Can you see clearly in this passage, he wasted his life because he never got to know what the father was really like. He may have been to, to the church all his life. I started to say, where in the H did he get this from? I would be answering my own question, wouldn't I? Do not underestimate the powers of darkness to misrepresent the greatest man that ever lived in your mind. And uh, you can go on and read it. And he, he wasted his whole life. Why did he waste his life? Not because he wanted to raise hell and rock and roll. He just never got to know what the father was like. He thought he was hard, demanding, scared of him. Can you see that you getting to know what this man is like has a lot to do with what your life turns out to be? That's why it is so important, so important to get to know him. All right, uh, here's the deal. Preachers, mama, gospel music. I, with my hand in there, y'all not gonna believe this. Well, I guess you would, because I tell the truth. I, I'm, I was in this house one day, they were playing what they call Southern gospel music. That should tell you there's a problem right there. Southern gospel music. No, we want heavenly music, so we want. And they're playing a song and it went like this. God's going to get you for that. God's going to get you for that. Hide where you want, but I'm telling you now, God's going to get you for that. I, it was on my hand. You know what gospel music is, don't you? It's when four fat guys dress alike and sing, pointing at something nobody can sing. Are you with me? I was born to hack religious people off. God's, God's going to get you for that? And you wonder why you can't get people to come to your church? Here we got gospel singers who are just like this man in this Bible who said, you a hard man and you're demanding. Let me make an announcement. He's not out to get you. You don't do what he did to his son to get somebody. You do what he did to his son to help people. So we had this message of judgment and harshness and meanness. And Jesus comes along and he plops himself right down in the middle of the most wicked people there and starts being good to them. And it just, John goes crazy. John can't get it. The preachers can't get it. The disciples don't even get it. Would somebody get to know what this man is like? All right, here's what we need to do. I want you to turn with me to John chapter one. John chapter one. John chapter one. This is the great uh, passage where he says, this is why I came. That's why I came to this earth. In John chapter one, I want you to read with me in verse 14. And the word became flesh. You know what that means? God became a man. The word became flesh and walked among us and we beheld his what? Glory is too hard a word for you. It's the Greek word, dotsa, put the word beauty. His glory and his beauty are the same thing. There was any way you cut it, Jesus is the most beautiful life that ever walked on this planet. He demanded nothing for himself. The son of man has no place to lay his head. He owned one thing in his life, the coat that he was wearing when he was crucified. I mean, if you know, Jesus could have, could have really racked up if he'd have wanted to. Every step of his life was to serve people and help people. He lived the most beautiful life ever lived. That's what it means. God became a man and walked among us and we saw the beauty of God in Jesus. Not in the preachers. They wanted to kill me. Not in John. He wanted to burn me up. But in Jesus, we see the beauty of God. All right, watch these words with me. Verse 14, the word became a man. God became a man, walked among us. We saw his beauty, the beauty of the father. Tell me why Jesus came to this earth to show us the beauty of the father. 
All right, watch these words. Saw the beauty of the Father, full of what? Does it say grace? Where's the judgment? Where's the anger? Where's the hardness? You know what grace is, don't you? Grace means when you do get something you don't deserve. Tell me what God's like. He gives people stuff they don't deserve. We behold the beauty of God in Christ Jesus. And what did we see? We saw grace and we saw truth. Let's, uh, in case you're wondering about it, let's finish with verse 18. The Bible said this in verse 18. No one has ever seen God at any time. Have you? Literally, that means they haven't seen him personally, his face. No one's ever seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has revealed him. Dear ones, if you want to know what God's like, stare at Jesus. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see beauty and grace. You're going to see the grace of God given toward people. I didn't know if you knew this or not. There are only two people in history that ever actually seen the face of God and walked on the earth to tell about it. One was Jesus. Who's the other one? Paul. Paul wrote half the New Testament. He's the only man to ever actually stand in front of God and come back to earth. If you want to look it up sometime, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said, 14 years ago, I was caught up into the throne room of God. I stood in front of him and he gave me the wonderful words that I now bring to you. He literally was taken right into the throne room of God and he was given the revelation of grace. And that's why he came back to earth. That's why he wrote half the Bible and he saw him. All right, now, now let's go deep here. I'm gonna ask you a question. Let's go deep. If I wanna get to know somebody, should I ask somebody who has never seen him or should I ask somebody who has seen him? You'd think, wouldn't you? Why are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Why are you looking for God in all the wrong places? I either want to go to Jesus or I want to go to Paul. If I want to know what he's really like. Let me show you something perhaps you've never seen before. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. It's, you, it's easy. It's right in front of 2 Timothy. It's right behind 2 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, if you've ever read the Bible. He wrote 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. He starts every book with the same words. Here are the words that he starts every one of his writings with. And by the way, this is not just him speaking. There was the Bible is God speaking through people to you. All right, here's what he says. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus, by the commandment of God, our Savior, Lord Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith. Watch these words. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father. The only man that ever stood in front of him, what's the message he brings back? It's grace. It's mercy. It's peace. The difference between mercy and grace, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. Tell me what peace is. Tell me what peace is. Peace from the Father. I'm not mad at you. How many of you have ever been in this situation before? You thought somebody was upset with you or mad at you. And then you went and asked them, you say, everything all right between us? And they go, yeah, fine. And you find out they weren't mad at you at all. Has that ever happened to you? Come on, guys, that ever, that's called marriage. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> of course, if you ask your wife, what's wrong, baby? What's, all, what's always answer? Nothing, nothing. You know what? If she says nothing, guess what that means? You better get to look around and find out what the problem is, doc. Do you understand how easy it is for us to think wrong about somebody? Are you with me? Yes. Think that somebody, I've had people come up to me and say, I thought you didn't like me. 
And I just think, what's your name? I don't even know who you are. Dear ones, what is the message? He, this man went in front of God. What's the message he brings back? He's not mad. Peace. He wants to be good to you. Mercy and grace. This is the message of God. This is the message Jesus brought back. He came to show us what the Father's like. Because obviously John couldn't do it. He's going to burn you up. He's going to lay the ax to you. Jesus came and said, no, 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 no. God's not mad. And uh, you know, the preachers make a mistake. We're going to stone you. Woman called adultery. We're going to kill her. Jesus said, wait a minute. If you want to kill somebody, kill yourself. You're the sinners. And he showed her mercy. He was always going against the grain of religion. What? To show us this is what the man's really like. The greatest thing in your life is to get to know what the man is really like. What's the revelation? Here's the revelation. I, this bothers some people when I use this word. I got an ugly email about it, so I'll use it again. <laughs> What's the one word? Crazy love. Crazy love. I, it's the only word I know to use to get you to understand. Have you ever had somebody loved you and you wondered about it? I used to be a Baptist preacher. That's why I hack on them so much. And uh, you know, you got these old ladies in the church, the church, I call them the church old ladies. That's not their proper name. And uh, they'd come to see you. I need to talk to you. I want you to know I love you. Guess what it means when they say, I want you to know I love you. They're fixing to kick your butt till your nose bleeds. <laughs> and there ain't nothing amazing about that, Grace. And you know what the truth is? They really don't love you. Squalls. Let me tell you what crazy love is. And this is a crazy love. I cursed his name. I never opened my mouth without using his name in vain before I met him. He stripped his son naked and beat him beyond recognition and nailed him to a cross in front of his enemies to be good to a man like that. That's crazy love any way you cut it. That's God. That is the living God. He's not as uptight as people think he is. It's just a crazy love. It's mercy. I should have been in hell by now. He sent his son to hell so I wouldn't have to go. That, that just, that's beyond sense. I've experienced the grace of God in my life. I was a criminal. I, 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 my arrest record is wonderful. I, he's just opened the windows of heaven over me. I've just, I've got the greatest wife in the world. I've got a great family. I've got great health. I destroyed my health when I was young. He gave me my health back. I got the greatest friends. I got a pretty good job. I, I got it all. I deserve none of this. That's God. That's the goodness of God. That's why Jesus came to this earth. That's the mercy of God. It's the hope of creation once you get to know him. And then here's the best part of all. You know what Jesus taught me? All right. All right, I, Jesus attacked me. I, I was a young man. I was going to plan on a life of crime. That's what I was going to do with my life. I was wicked as hell. I was running with the hell's angels. I was mean as the devil. And he just attacked me one night. He just jumped on me and saved me whether I liked it or not. I don't know any other way to say it. It may not have been your experience. You might have come to him. I wasn't looking. I was running from him. I had met too many preachers. I didn't want nothing to do with God. He just attacked me one night in the woods in Virginia up at Car Lake. It was a Tuesday. You know you can't get saved on a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> and he just attacked me one night. And for two hours, I walked in the woods, thought I was having a nervous breakdown. I said, what, 
what's wrong with me? I went and woke a fellow up midnight. I said, I'm having a nervous breakdown. What's wrong with me? He said, son, he said, that's God. I said, who? He said, God is doing this to you. I said, why? He said, this is called the spirit of God. This is conviction. He wants you to be his child. I could not come. I said, what do I do? He said, get on your knees. There's an old school bus. I got down on the bumper right there just... And all of a sudden, I'd never given him the time of day. This is the power of the Spirit of God. I'd never even thought about him. All of a sudden, I saw him on the cross and I knew right here, I did that to him. And I wept and told him, I am so sorry, but I'll follow you forever. And when I got up off that ground, something had happened. It was just, I'm a preacher. I'm supposed to be able to explain this stuff. I can't explain this stuff. All right, I decided to, you know, what am I going to do? Can't, can't be a criminal anymore. I knew that. You have to change. So I said to this guy, what do I do now? He said, you know, I got to go to church. I said, all right, where? He said, go to my church. So I went to church. I'm not being unkind. They were supposed to teach me about God. They didn't. They taught me how to be religious. They taught me how to look down my nose at sinful people now that I wasn't one no more. They taught me I had to go wear these stupid outfits that you get at JCPenney. I hate a necktie. Cowboys with things around their neck? That don't make sense. I'm not being unkind. They, they were well-meaning. They were just as wrong as John the Baptist. But a funny thing happened on the way to religion. I picked up that Bible and started reading it and the Jesus in that Bible started talking to me. And the greatest thing he ever taught me was that they never taught me this. You know what he taught me? He's a relational God. You know what that means? He's not looking for a worker. He's got workers. He's looking for a son. He's looking for a friend. Somebody should write a song that goes like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. And you know what I read in here? I read in here that he'll talk to you. I said, you gotta be kidding me. I got to John chapter 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. And I know that I said, he'll talk to you. I went and showed it to the preacher. I said, God talks to people. And that, that made him nervous. He said, now son, son. So I read this book. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Moses. God spoke to Noah. God spoke to Joseph. God spoke to Nehemiah. I won't, I'm not going to go through the whole book. He speaks to everybody in there and all of a sudden he's going dumb. He can't speak now. I said, I believe he speaks. He did talk to me and he spoke to me and he didn't say, quit acting dumb. Too late for that. He talks to you as a father. My all-time favorite song, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. He walks with me. He talks with me. And he tells me, you're mine. I'm his own. And the joy we share while we tarry there. That's a relational God who will talk to you. And he'll lead you. And he's, he's just, he's good. And uh, this sort of, you can be guided by, he'll heal you heart and everything. I was so messed up as a child. That's why I was so mean. You can be changed by him yes. for the good. He don't make you religious. He makes you happy. Amen. You wouldn't know it going to church, but Jesus will make you happy. It's true. All right, let me just pull one out. Does anybody know who Zach is? Not the hot dog guy in Burlington, but <laughs> Zach in the Bible. Y'all know the Zach in the Bible? Zacchaeus. I call him Zach for short. Jesus called him Zach. If you have to be proper, call him Zacchaeus. Fine by me. 
This is one of the meanest men that ever lived. He was a professional crook. He stole from, that's all he ever did was steal from people. He had no friends. All he, he worshiped money and he lived for money and stole from people. One day Jesus is coming through town and Zach wants to see him because he's heard him. I say, he climbs up in a tree. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Y'all remember that? So he climbs up in a tree so he can see. Jesus gets right to where he's at. He stops, he looks at him. He says, I'm gonna go home and eat lunch with you. The preachers go into a spastic fit again. This man is going to be a friend with him who is a sinner. Is anybody here thankful that this man will talk to him who is a sinner? Amen. So he goes to eat with Zacchaeus. He didn't preach at him. He didn't fuss at him. They just ate together and they talked. Halfway through that dinner, listen what happened. Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, I'm gonna give half of everything I got to poor people. He ain't never give nothing to nobody. He spent his life stealing from people. What happened to him? And what else, what else the other thing he said? And if I've taken anything from anybody wrong, I'm gonna pay him back four times as much. Everything he had, he took wrong from people. So he gives half his money to poor people he goes and pays everybody back and asks them to forgive him. He ain't got a dime. And the Bible said he was so happy. Yes. He ain't got no money left. This guy worshiped money. What happened to him? Jesus. He just started talking to Jesus. He got in the presence of God and he was trans. Preachers didn't fuss at him and say, you ought to be ashamed. Jesus spoke to him and he was changed from the inside out. Let me make an announcement. He's the same Jesus today. Amen. He still does this kind of stuff today. He's just wonderful. And uh, you got to find out the reason he was put on this planet. That's why he came to reveal himself. I want to do one more scripture with you. I got to ask a theological question. You know what theology means, don't you? It's the study of God. I don't ask a deep question. If you know the answer, feel free to speak it out. Can you drive a nail with a pipe wrench? Does anybody know? They say, it's dumb. I didn't ask you if it's dumb. I just asked if you could do it. But if you don't know, you can I, I built the, my father-in-law and I built the house that we live in. And I remember one day I was real busy. I needed to tap one nail back down. My life, I move at 90 miles an hour. Everything got to go fast. And I got time to walk up there and get the hammer. There's a pipe wrench laying there. So I picked it up and bam, I drove that nail in with a pipe wrench. Can you drive a nail with a pipe wrench? Yes. You'd build a whole house with a pipe wrench if you wanted to. <laughs> but let me make an announcement. That is not why pipe wrenches were created. <laughs> I know you wonder what I'm talking about. Stay with me. Pipe wrenches were created to turn pipes, not drive nails. Here's my point. You can be successful building a house with a pipe wrench, but that wasn't what it was created to do. You can be successful at what you're doing in life. What if that's not what you were created to do? I don't care if you're successful. Have you found why you were created yet? Well, let's find out. Would you know where in the Bible to look where he tells you this is why I made you? It's Acts chapter 17. Turn to Acts 17, mark this in your Bible. Go back to it regular in case you lose your way. Acts chapter 17 is where the Bible is very clear. This is why I was created. This is why he created me and he created you. All right, you got to decide one of two things. Everybody in here does. Do you believe what modern biology and science are teaching or do you believe the Bible? All right, modern biology says there's no God. There's no creator. There's no divine design by your being here. You are simply a product of biology. A man met a woman, they came together and that's why you're here. You just a sack of cells. Doesn't that encourage you? You, you're, you just, you're strictly biology. There's nothing behind your being here. That's what modern science teaches. 
Let's see what the Bible says about that. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it. Stop right there. So good so far? How many of you believe he made the world? How many of you believe he made everything in it? The planet, the flora, the fauna, the animals. How many of you believe he made your computer? Think about it. Demons, listen to me. Every element that's in your computer was in this earth on the day he created it. Everything that exists today was in the earth on the last day of his creation thousands of years ago, either in real hard form or in seed form. We've never invented anything. We just shuffle around the stuff that he put here. So the Bible said he created everything that's here. All right, let's read a little further. Verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, he's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in a building. He's not worshiped with hands as if he needed anything. What's his word? Since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You agree with that or disagree? Do you believe that he gave you life? Yes. Do you believe that the only reason you're alive is because he wanted you to be? Amen. That's what it says. How many believe you're breathing because he wants you to breathe? What's the third thing he said there? What's all things mean? If you have a family, he gave it to you. If you have health, he sustains it. If you had breakfast this morning, he gave it to you. If you have happiness in your heart, he gave that to you. He created me. He put breath in me and everything I've got came from him. All right, so far, so good. We're doing good so far. Let's watch this. Verse 26, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times, the boundaries of their dwellings. Tell me what else he did. What does it mean when it says he determined their pre-appointed times? He chose the day you'd be born. Pre-appointed time, he determined the day you'd be born. And uh, it's pre-appointed. Pre he didn't like, I was born September the 7th, 1957. Like he didn't get up early on September the 7th and said, let's do him today. It went way back further than that. Psalm 139, excuse me, Jeremiah 1. Before I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. He determined the day you'd be born. What does it mean their boundaries? He determined the place you'd be born. This man's been all over you all your life and you didn't know it. All right, I was born September the 7th, 1957 in the Catholic hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina. He chose that. He chose the day I was born. He chose the place I was born. He chose the regions of my geography, the place of my boundaries. All right, what have I found out so far? He created everything there is. He created me on purpose. He decided the day I'd be born. He decided where I'd be born. What's the only big question left? Why? How many of you know you need to find out why he put you here? Two great days in your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. I'm going to ask you another question. Can I ask you this again? Can a pipe wrench drive a nail? It wasn't made for that. How do you know you're doing what you were created to do? They say, well, I'm good at it. Well, I, I can drive nails with a pipe wrench. That's what it's made for. All right, look at the first word in verse 27. So, there it is. He just told you he created everything there is. He determined the day you'd be born, the place you'd be born. What does so mean? That's the why you were born. Right here's why you were born. It's why you exist. He created us so that we should seek the Lord in the hope that we could grope for him, reach him and find him. He's not far from us. 
and then in him live and move and have our being. You know why you were created? There it is. You were created to look for God and find him. He's close. What does it say? He's not far from me. He's close. You're created to look for God and find him. And then what's the next verse tell us? Enjoy living in him. You're created to look for him and find him and enjoy him. This, if you're not doing this with your life, I don't care if you're the most successful in business or whatever, you're missing the purpose of your creation. Now you can be a great businessman or woman. You can be a great athlete. You can be a great musician. That's not why you were born. You were born to look for God and find him. And he's not far from you. And then enjoy him. The key word is enjoy. So it's all about enjoying him. All right. Let me quit by telling you about a journey here. I spent the first years of my life deceived. I was deceived. I was looking, everybody's looking for something. That's the reason you're here this morning. You're looking for something. Either that or your old lady drug you, which, which God's probably in that too, so relax. Everybody's looking for, I was looking for a life or happiness. I don't know what I was looking for. I was looking for it in drugs and violence and meanness. And I was looking for it in all the wrong places. And I ended up at a dead end. My life was not going well. I was either going to prison or going to the graveyard. And uh, all of a sudden, God attacked me. Jesus just came and found me. I wasn't looking for him. I didn't know it. He came and attacked me. And then, now let me tell you what happened to me then. I changed my life. He changed me. And the church got hold of me and made me religious. You don't meet nobody more religious than I was. Wore that suit everywhere I went. I used to be a pastor in a little town not far from here. I put on a coat and tie every day and walked up and through. The, I walked all over town preaching to people in a coat and tie in the summer. You know what stupid is? Coat on when it's 90 degrees. That's stupid. <laughs> I'm knocking on doors one day in a trailer. I got to this side. This, this show you how stupid religion is. I'm knocking on doors one day and a lady came to the room and I came to talk to her about Jesus. She said, how come you preachers always come to the trailer parks? Why don't you go to the country club, preach to them? They need it more than we do. I said, all right. After lunch, I went to country club. I know now why I don't go to country club. First house I go up to, huge house, the, the garage, three garage doors, they're up. So I just walk up there. Doorbell. I hit the doorbell and the garage door starts closing. I had to run and get on the ground to get out from underneath it before I got trapped in that house and get arrested for breaking in there. That's why I don't go to country club no more. Just nuts. I became mean and hard, just like John the Baptist, just like the disciples of Jesus. But thank God in his great kindness, I got in this book and he showed me, you're missing the entire point. I didn't come to beat people up. I came to help people. And he said, you need to get to know me personally. And I'm telling you, I've had years now just enjoying Jesus. That's why he's so wonderful. And my message to you is, he's not mad at you. Now, religious people get nervous. So you, you, you talk to them like that, they're going to sin. Go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Mercy works. And you were created to know him. You were created to enjoy him. I want to quit by telling you about a catechism. How many of you like catechisms? Sort of sounds like a medical procedure, doesn't it? know that a lot of churches this morning started their service. They start their service every week by quoting the Westminster Short Catechism. And it's just, uh, this fellow was given an assignment one time. He said, we want you to come up with one sentence that captures the whole meaning of life. 
put the whole Bible in one sentence. All right, let me ask you a question. If I came to you and said, put the whole Bible in one sentence, what would it be? Straighten up your life or you're going to be in trouble. Is that the Bible? What would it be? Try to stay awake through this stuff. <laughs> if you had to put the meaning of life, the whole Bible in one sentence, what would it be? That's what the Westminster Short Catechism is. And I believe it nailed it. This is what it says. They start their services by saying this. The purpose we exist, the chief aim of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the Westminster Short Catechism. That's supposed to be the whole Bible in a, in a sentence. Please don't tell them this, but I changed it a little bit because it needed changing. I'm sure they'd be thrilled to know that. They've been saying this for 900 years and here I go changing it. One word needed a little tweaking in there. I changed it to the reason I exist, the chief aim of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. I was created to enjoy God. If that sounds weird to you, welcome to the God of the Bible. I was created to enjoy him. And if you enjoy something, you will naturally glorify it without trying. You know what the dumbest things I ever had? Somebody suggested here, we should have a course. We need to teach a course on teach people how to witness. I just stood there and looked at them like a calf looking at a new gate. I just stared at them like they had three heads. I said, what do you mean teach people how to witness? He said, we know a lot of churches teach their people how to witness. I said, we're not gonna do it here. He said, don't you think they ought to witness? You gonna teach somebody how to witness? How about I teach you how to kiss your wife? There's some things just can't be taught, doc. Why would you need to teach somebody how to talk about Jesus? All right, let me help you here. Let me illustrate what it means to glorify something by enjoying it. I could pick a number of things. Let me pick bass fishing. All right, anybody ever heard of Lake Okeechobee, Florida? Okay, those are your, those are your live people there. Lake Okeechobee is to bass fishing what Mecca is to a Muslim. It is the bass fishing capital of the world. It's the largest lake in, in America with the exception of the Great Lakes. And if you can't catch fish there, you need to take up tap dance and it's beautiful. And the main thing about it is in January when we're scraping ice off our windshields, they got their shirts off fishing in 75 degrees and catching fish. It's wonderful. I go down there every year for one week in January or February uh, just to fish. First year I ever went down, I got friends that are bass fishing buddies. And I told him, I'm going, I'm going to heaven, boys. Going to, I mean, not, not the real heaven, Okeechobee. And went down there and I caught fish, had the best time. They throw back mad what we mount. And I caught those fish and I came back and uh, I told them boys, I said, ain't nothing like it. You got to go. I said, let me show you my pictures. It's so wonderful. And I just went on and on about how wonderful. You know what I was doing? I was glorifying that lake. Guess why? I enjoyed it. I did not have to read a book on how to talk about bass fishing. Nobody had to put me through a course on how to talk about bass fishing. Guess what? What you enjoy and experience, you will glorify without being taught. All right, let me pick on you a little bit. You didn't understand it. Let me pick on you a little bit. All my life, all my ministry, 42 years now, people walked up to me and said, have I ever shown you pictures of my grandchildren? And I'll say, no, and I sure do appreciate it. I'm being cute. These grandmothers, you know, listen, if you got children, that ain't no big deal. Wait till you have grandchildren. Amen. Hear that? Grandchildren are the reward for raising children. Can I get a witness? The children are the work. The grandchildren are the joy. 
and uh, inevitably, constantly, women my age, men my, mostly women, they'll just go on and on about their grandchildren. They got an amazing, amazing. <laughs> Let me make an announcement. If they all amazing, <laughs> never mind. They got an amazing grandchild, and they're just so, and they just babble. About, you know what I'm thinking when they're saying that? Where did you go to learn how to talk about your grandchildren? Did you go through a class on how to talk about grand? See why we don't teach people about witnessing here. Dear ones, you hear the voice of God, you'll have no trouble glorifying him. When you experience something, I could do this with Rocky Road ice cream. Anything you enjoy greatly, you don't have to teach people how to talk about. Let me tell you something. When you experience Jesus, you don't have to be taught how to talk about him. All right. I want you to get to know him. I'm going to pray for you. There needs to be one great prayer request in your life above every other prayer request. Open the eyes of my heart. Show me what you're really like. Show me what you're really like. A lot of times when I'm praying, I'll look at the most beautiful scenery. I'm gonna, I love the outdoors and I'll see the most beautiful scenery and I'll just say to him, if you made that, I want to get to know what the guy's like that made that. I look at the greatest man that ever lived, beaten beyond recognition, hanging naked on a cross. And I say to, say to God, if you did that to him so you could help me, I want to get to know what you're like. That guy that did that can't be mad at me. He can't be hard. You do that to your son to help me, you got to be good. Greatest prayer of your life is, show me what you like. Quit beating the nail with a pipe wrench. Live your life to find him. Find out what he's like and enjoy him. That's what you were created to do. How many of you would be honest enough to say, something down here is missing. I got a good life. We got a nice house. I'm paying the bills. I got a good family, but there's something in here. There's something more. You heard it this morning. That's the voice of God in your heart crying out. Look for me so you can find me and get to know me. Let me pray that prayer of you. Lord Jesus, I praise you and thank you for the goodness. What in the world happened, Father? You created us to see your face. You created us to hear your voice. You created us to know the joy that comes from knowing you. You created us to be blessed by you if we won't be offended by you. You created us to be in a real relationship with you. I mean a real one, not this church stuff. And we're out looking for meaning and purpose and achievement or booze or sex or prestige and looking up all these rat holes. And then Lord Jesus, some of us get religious and we go through the motions of lifeless religion, empty, miserable. We will never find what our hearts are looking for till we find you. I thank you and praise you that you are wonderful and you are real. Here's my simple prayer for every person in this room. Everybody in this room, Father, I pray over them that they will search for you because you're drawing them to you and they will find you. I pray and trust you. Open the eyes of hearts. Open the eyes of people's hearts. Show them the wonder and the beauty and the greatness and the goodness of who you are. Show them that you know their name. You said, I call my sheep by name. Show them you know their name. I'm asking you, show yourself to these people. Lord Jesus, they, they came to church this morning looking for something. Honor their showing up. Those that tuned in on the internet, they're looking for something. 
honor their faith by showing them who you are. Thank you for hearing my prayer and answering it. I give you the praise and glory. Friend, as we're praying, if you're sitting in here, everybody's got to have a starting point with Jesus. There's got to be somewhere in your life where you say, today I'm going to start walking with Jesus. Got to be a starting point. John had a starting point. Moses had a starting point. Everybody had a starting point. Simon on a set day when he was fishing had a starting point with Jesus. My starting point was on the edge of Carr Lake in Virginia. That's the day I started with Jesus. When did you start with Jesus? Everybody's got to have a start date. Where a time where you say in your heart, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk with him. If you've never done that, what better day than today? Why don't we start today? Why don't you decide you're going to follow Jesus today? Dear Holy Spirit, go throughout this room and draw people. You're the only one that can bring people to the precious Son of God, to their Creator. Draw people to Jesus while I pray with them here. Thank you, sir. Why don't you start today? If you want to start your walk with Jesus today and you want to follow Him and walk with Him, you do it by just calling on Him. We call it prayer. Jesus said this, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he who calls on me, I would never turn away. Won't you start with him today? You don't have to understand it. Just know this, he's better than you know he is. Right there where you're seated, pray a simple prayer in your heart. Doesn't have to be this one, but sort of like this one. Just say this, dear Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross because you love me. I believe you rose from the grave because it couldn't hold you. I believe you're coming back to earth one day. I believe in you. I really believe in you. Today, I make the decision to start following you. From this day forward, you are my Savior. You're my Lord. And you're the love of my life. Teach me how to live. I don't know what to do. So I'm watching you. But I do know I want to follow you. I come to you today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for receiving me. Take this life. Show me why I was created. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, precious Son of God. If you prayed that prayer or something like that, raise your hand up high so I can see it. Thank you, thank you. Put those down. Lord Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you. The only reason this earth was created was so that you could have sons and daughters and we could have a father and we could live for you and know you And I just give you the praise and glory for that. Thank you for who you are and what you're doing. And I pray for every person in this room to hear the voice of God. I trust you for that. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And amen. God bless you.